0: later is to the cocaine smuggling business what the Wright brothers were at aviation when I first met Carlos it was simply to purchase some airplanes for him I never used my real name I went by an alias he got a hold of me and said hey I got this place in the Bahamas that's where we're gonna operate it out of and I need some airplanes so I picked up a couple airplanes for him and flew to the Bahamas Carlos said, hey, you want to fly down to Columbia, fill them up and bring them back to the islands and make a little extra money? And so I said, okay. Carlos was very convincing. You know, the smile on his face and how great it is. So consequently, you'd kind of insidiously get involved in this. I mean, I had no desire to be a criminal. I had no desire to go to jail. One of the most favored routes from Columbia to Miami is via the Bahamas, Famous for its beaches, casinos, and hundreds of thinly inhabited keys or islands that have been used for smuggling for centuries. Meeting the Colombian for the first time would immediately change the course of Jack Reed's life. Carlos explained the difficulty in smuggling drugs into the U.S. from Colombia due to the limited range of small aircraft. They needed a friendly territory that could serve as a stopover spot where they could refuel before continuing on to their desired locations in America. After scouting the Caribbean, Carlos had found that Norman's Key was the ideal island to serve those purposes and quickly set about negotiating a deal from the finance company that owned the island. Meanwhile, the two men quickly developed a bond that led Carlos to ask Jack to stay on as his personal pilot. Jack quickly accepted. I mean, wouldn't you, Carlos later, telling him no? I know I would. Anyway, he and Sheldon would soon move to... To the island permanently after carlos loaned them the money to purchase a beach cottage on norman's key as maykay states jack told her he had zero regrets about his decision to join forces with the infamous drug lord
1: if he says my adventure with carlos later was a great learning experience i wouldn't change one second of it So, yeah, he ended up in the longest-running drug trial in U.S. history as a co-defendant of Carlos Later, They were very dear friends. He ended up being um, one of Carlos's first pilots. Carlos had many pilots that smuggled drugs. Most of them didn't do the job very long because they either um, got lost or got killed or um, got arrested or decided they got scared and paranoid or they made enough money and wised up and quit. So uh, Jack was one of his first pilots and ended up being accused of being a ringleader, (laughs) you know, um, in the operation, which just wasn't the case. He said when Carlos was off the island, he was more of a caretaker. We kind of have to laugh about that. And he was in charge of accounting. So you will hear an account of one of Carlos's attorneys talk about how there was evidence later uh, that was found that That really was the the nail in the coffin for convicting them all but um, Jack would make a record of of all the planes coming in and um, taking off their tail numbers and he took pictures of them and those pictures were found so he was also you know helping with accounting and um, a caretaker of the island but a very very good friend of Carlos's and you know he defended Carlos To his dying day he never snitched on carlos when carlos first came he introduced himself as joe later it wasn't carlos and he introduced himself as a potential island developer there were just a handful of private residents who lived there he joined them
0: buying a beachfront estate he called volcano then he began setting his plan in motion so, first thing, you know, you bribe the government. And then the Bahamas had a reputation of being uh, totally corrupt.
1: High ranking members of government are allegedly on the tape including allegations that some well-wired politicians look the other way where drug smugglers are concerned. There's no question that they were in on it. Uh, You know, Prime Minister Pindling was known to have been on the island several times while Carlos later was on the island. Two cabinet members were fired and three more resigned Monday in light of widespread drug-related corruption allegations. Get it away from me!
0: Carlos bought off government officials. He intimidated everybody else into silence. With the government in his back pocket, Joe later began
1: making deals with his neighbors. There were quite a few people that were okay with selling their homes. In fact, most did.
0: Despite rumors to the contrary, most of the island's inhabitants were thrilled to sell their properties above market price to Carlos. There were four residents who resisted selling, including Dr. Novak, and another group of small-time smugglers who would eventually play a role in the downfall of Carlos's operation. But we're getting ahead of ourselves talking about the downfall. For a few years Norman's Key was the epicenter of cocaine shipments headed to America. It was also home to some of the wildest parties you can wrap your head around. We're talking parties that would last for days. An endless supply of drugs and drink with beautiful women flown in by the plane loads. It's no wonder Bahamian politicians were visiting the island regularly. Although Jack Reed would eventually be charged as Carlos later's partner in the drug smuggling operations on Norman Key, he told McKay that his role may have been embellished by the U.S. government.
1: He was accused of allegedly being like his partner and in charge of directing pilots and in charge of the operation. So he really didn't discuss that, but he said that was not true. Mm-hmm. He was just a great friend of Carlos's. And when Carlos left the island, which was quite often, that Jack would would be in charge of maintenance. So can we laugh about that? Yeah. He wasn't coordinating all these illegal flights or pot coming in or, or coke coming in or out. Now, whether that was true or not, I don't know, but that's yeah. what he said. He said everyone thought he was he knew everything that was going on, that he was part of it. No, he just transported the cocaine. You know, he smuggled it to and from. He had quite a few trips and he would talk about that, but most of the time it was just living on the island.
0: With Jack traveling a great deal to transport loads, he worried that Sheldon might get lonely from time to time. So during a pit stop in Florida, Jack decided it was time to add another member to the family, a golden retriever. He would aptly be named Norman.
1: Apparently, this was a birthday present for Shelvin, and I think he got Norman in Florida, and it was a birthday present. So I don't believe initially Norman was with them, but eventually he got, you know, Norman as a birthday present, and they took that dog everywhere. And it's funny because Jack used to say to me, um, because he knew I was flying here and there and doing all these things, and he expected that I took my dog Wishbone with me. I go, no, I don't take my dog with me to hotels and when I go flying. And he couldn't understand that because they took Norman with them everywhere they went. Norman went to Canada with them, went to Colombia, moved to Panama with them, was on Norman's with them. They love that dog.
0: If you're wondering why we are bringing up Jack and Sheldon's Golden Retriever, well let's just say that Norman will end up playing a large role in the prosecution of Jack and Carlos later during their drug trial. Meanwhile, as May continued interviewing Jack for the book, she would start to reach out to others in order to fact check his story as any good journalist would do this would lead her to build relationships with some of the more infamous names in drug smuggling history while carlos later was still being hidden away in the bureau of prisons witsec program she contacted his former partner george young remember johnny depp blow it's pretty crazy when you think about
1: it that an old outlaw writing his story in a prison cell would come to all this. My name is George Young, former inmate, federal prison number 19225-004. Being famous isn't something I sought out. I wanted to be rich.
0: George turned into a household name after Johnny Depp portrayed him in Blow. It took an immediate liking to May Kay, as she explains.
1: We all know Johnny Depp portrayed him in the movie Blow, which was a story about George's life. Uh, George was um, quite a character, and I went to visit him at Fort Dix when he was imprisoned in New Jersey uh, to get information about Norman's Key, and he did agree to meet with me. It was a wonderful interview we we spent a long time together and then that was the beginning of a relationship that would last at least 10 years and it was a professional relationship it wasn't anything romantic or inappropriate or or anything like that but um getting to know george was interesting and george even though he really didn't know jack he had you know seen him once or twice he really didn't know him but he was jealous of jack because he would he eventually would read the book and, uh, and bless the book. But he, he was jealous that I cared for Jack. I mean, he is a very interesting creature, but I do remember, you know, asking him about Carlos and he told me, he's got that heavy Boston accent. And he said, oh, I love Carlos, I love Carlos. And he really wanted to make up with Carlos. Uh, was very, very concerned about that. We became friends, I believe, you know, me as a journalist. Many times, he told me how badly he felt that Carlos was incarcerated and would likely never see the light of day, but that George would be released. George eventually was released, and Carlos was still incarcerated. And he would tell me many times that he loved Carlos, and that it it just killed him that he was still incarcerated. Many times he told me this, so I know he meant it. Um, And George really wanted to help Carlos get out too. And George knew some people in high places like Johnny Depp and other celebrities, but I don't know why Johnny Depp couldn't help. I never spoke with Johnny Depp. I don't know if Johnny Depp could have done anything. I know at one point, Um, George would call me and and he'd almost be crying. And and he'd say, I don't know what is going on, but no one's gonna help him. And and we thought that he would never be let out. And lo and behold, when he was let out, I, I know that George was relieved. And before we knew when he was gonna find his freedom, George would say to me, and George liked his liquor, so he would call me when he was a little juiced up, okay? And he he would just say, I can't be happy in my life. I'm for I can't be happy because Carlos is is in jail. How can I be happy knowing he's? I mean, he really loved Carlos, you know. And and so I he said, please let him know and let his family know how I feel. So I got word to them, but they said no. Carlos didn't want to hear it. I was in touch with George for at least a decade, and then. When Carlos was freed, we didn't talk after that. The last few years of George's life, to tell it like it is, he would like drunk dial me, okay? He'd call at three in the morning, and my phone is turned off, so in the morning I listen to his message, and he wants to talk Oh, he's drunk, okay? And there were other times he'd call me at all hours, and he was drunk, and I, that gets old. Look, you know, I I don't. My ego doesn't need. Oh, but he's a celebrity. It's like, okay. So you know what? I stopped answering. First voice message sent Sunday at 3:23 a.m. from phone number six five zero six six nine six six three nine. Duration: fifteen seconds.
0: Okay a treasure on thing with the guy who has the treasure map. End of message. May Kay's fact-checking didn't end there. She used the word spunk and gumption to describe herself. If she was a man, we'd say that she had a giant set of brass balls. Miss Beeler contacted someone who will remain nameless, who was involved with the cartel and had been part of the operation on Norman's Key. Despite not speaking a word of Spanish, Mayke traveled alone to Colombia to meet with a cartel-connected drug smuggler. I mean, who does that?
1: Some of the other players in the book, which is a true book. It's not embellished. It's not inspired by. It's a true book, and it's been vetted to the best of my ability. But even some of the characters in the book that would blow you away that I've spoken with and interviewed, I felt a connection to them as well how weird is that i went to colombia to meet one gentleman in the book that i cannot disclose his identity and it was like he was my brother we were so close immediately we were so comfortable there was no awkwardness and he took care of me i i went down to colombia and it really wasn't safe for me to be um bogotá or medellín so he met me on san andreas isla which is an incredible caribbean island owned by Columbia, mm-hmm. off the coast of Nicaragua. And it was incredible beauty too. But he was on Norman Skews, he was a very close friend of Carlos and Jack's. Um, but I felt the connection to these folks. Don't misinterpret this, I, it's not an illegal connection. It's not that I want to break the law or I felt that we had a bond that way. No, no, no. We got along really well, we knew each other. I can't explain it.
0: Well, there were some, like George and her anonymous cartel source, who were happy to cooperate in the writing of Buccaneer, there were a number of other people who were still terrified, both of the United States government and the cartels. One example was former radio DJ Russ O'Hara.
1: Initially, he was really happy to talk to me. And it's before I finished the book. It took me six years to finish the book because I had to research everything. And I said, I'm just going to talk to you off the record. He was so excited to talk to me. Oh, we talked and talked and talked. And finally he said, well, why don't you call me back another day and we'll finish it. He was a DJ, a very well-known DJ in California. So I called him back and he wouldn't take any of my calls. And he wouldn't take any calls. And I called him and he wouldn't take any of my calls. I finally got him on the phone and I said, what's going on? You know, He said, who are you? Who are you? I said, what do you mean, who am I? You can Google me. said, I'm a journalist. Well, what are you doing this? Why are you interviewing me? And I said, I'm working on Jack's biography. I told you that. I'm I'm working, you know, for myself at this point. As a freelance journalist, I'm not with ABC at this point or CBS. You know, I've worked for all the other affiliates, but I wasn't at the time. I said, I'm just working for me. I can't talk to you. My attorney told me I can't talk to you. You work for the government. Don't ever call me again. Okay. So some people were afraid to talk. Now, he had, he had testified against Jack in court, and he was let go. You know, he just said, oh, I thought it was a fun thing to do, and it was exciting, and that's why I did it. And it's true, most people did it for those reasons and the money. But he just was scared, and he wouldn't talk to me after that. And when I spoke to another player um, on the island who I became friends with, who I cannot identify, but is in the book... Um, She said, well, what do you expect, May Kay? The government can do anything at any time. So you can't blame him for being scared. Even though the case is closed. He already testified. He was let go. It's now, you know, 30 years later, 35 years later. You got to respect that. These people are still scared. And I thought, okay, okay, I understand now.
0: As May Kay continued her investigation into Jack and Norman's key, She would also come to learn that the reputation of Carlos Lader, also known as Crazy Charlie, or the Colombian Rambo, was a myth, most likely dreamed up by the United States government. Who was the real Carlos Lader, and what was behind the downfall of his tropical paradise, Norman's Key? Next time on Glamour Profession.